Hey guys, welcome to the Wedding Pros Podcast. Today we have a special guest, Rich Ferry. How you doing? Very good. Good, good. Thank you for having me. Oh yeah, it's going to be awesome. So, Rich is our friend for years back. Um, Rich is the owner, operator, cinematographer of Rangeley Films. Um, is that just your wedding brand? Correct, yeah. And then, what do you call your production work is that just rich fairy exactly yeah i made yeah. the differentiation um about a year and a half two years ago because just folks were getting like wedding like brides were hitting me up and be like so you shoot a lot of rap videos <laughs> do you have any weddings <laughs> yeah so so um you're based out of providence right yeah and um i would say rich is one of the more talented um cinematographers in our area not just with weddings but um but we're on wedding pros so we're talking about weddings but rich Let's just get started. So how, how do you get into filmmaking in general? Um, yeah, like a little bit, maybe like less traditional, but I think a lot of film people started in music and I did too. So my path went from audio engineering. That was like my first real like technical love. Um, and I was really drawn to like making music by way of tools. And I really like a lot of musicians found the process of making music to be fulfilling. And I found the process of producing and like learning the gear fulfilling. And so that is exactly the headspace that I enter filmmaking from, which is like, I do love images and I love image making, but I, I have a lot of like appetite for the tech. Um, I never burn out on learning gear and like mastering gear as a means to make art. Um, and to me, they live together. And so that differentiated me from musicians who were interested in making music and touring and playing shows. And I was like, I'll learn the tech. And so when I went in, when everyone started taking up like DSLR cameras and taking photos, I was like, Hey, I'm, I have an aptitude to learn the video side, which is like admittedly just so much techier before you get to make art. And I was like, I'm, I'm into that. And I can, I can, um, justify the, the thinking and learning of the video side of things, uh, as a means to making the art. And, and I really, the second I started doing that, people that I was making these little like projects for little bio pieces, whatever responded in a way that was like overwhelming. And I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe I um, should do more of this. And that is, that's like kind of the, the world told me, Hey, try it more. And I got a lot of like good feedback from some of the earliest clients. So for you, <clears throat> cause I think this is a true I think you're making a true statement when you talk about video people naturally being people who gravitate towards um, processes and gear and things like that. Freaking nerds. <laughs> They're mm. nerds. We're nerds. <laughs> At the core of it. Total like, nerds. I'm coming from the same boat. I, I wanted to, I learned web design, coding, music, all these things. And it was natural for me to be like, editing in LE. I want to learn that. How right. do I do that? Like, how can I make that? Like I was, I would spend, everyone else would be hanging out and I would go to the cable access place and learn how to cut tape right. together. Right. Wow. That was what I love to do. <clears throat> and so I think like, that's a lot of people's journey. I feel like when this particular niche, um, but also what I love about what you're saying is the process is just as much the art as the final product. hundred percent. And I think some people maybe don't feel that way. Maybe they don't care how it gets made as long as it gets made. I think one of the things I've known about you, I remember one of the first conversations I had with you, you were just ripping about how people can't roll focus. Yep. And I remember I thinking I was scared like, because I was like, I hope I don't work for Rich because <laughs> one day he might hate me because I suck at rolling focus. <laughs> I'll still admittedly be like, oh, wrong direction. Yeah. I'm like, oh crap. I so can just imagine I'm, Rich in the edit bay being like, mother of Well, that's so that's it's a headspace thing. It's like yeah. certain people are built in certain ways. And like I when I first started, I couldn't keep track of like which direction my hand moved as someone moved towards me and away from me. And like being stuck, like facing my own edits later and yeah. watching the yeah. focus pump yeah. early, early, early on <laughs> oh. was so infuriating. Oh. And I looked at like the the breadth of technical things I've been forced to learn over my life in order to do recording music, in order to do filmmaking. And I was like, this thing yep. is not technical enough 
that I'm not good at See, it. See, I'm gonna. And I, I would. It drove me insane. Uh, yeah. So I would literally practice because it would drive me nuts that this pretty simple concept was stumping me over and over and over yeah. again. And like, I would argue that it's not simple though, <laughs> because when you think about all the things you need, when I try to teach someone how to roll focus, I realize. Oh, depth of focus with aperture. Yeah, there's a lot of variables. <laughs> there's all these variables that and go it into it. And exponentially gets yes. more shallow. And then yeah. not only the fact that you're never standing directly in front of the person. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're accelerating in the frame at a different ratio depending on how they yeah. this is the nerdiest thing ever. But like you're watching a person walk in an angle, you're shooting am I shooting 2.8 or Yeah, it <laughs> matters. It matters. But it's, yeah. It's it is. There's a reason why that's someone's full time job. In <laughs> right, the focus puller is. And I'm not. I'm not focus puller level. Yeah, I know yeah, means, yeah. but I get the job. But, but I think you're right. With the, the, we tell our guys all the time, like if you want to be a good shooter, you have to get in the edit bay and learn. Like, and, and we've just found with all of our guys, everyone who wants to become a good shooter, come in, edit a couple of days a week, and actually see the footage because like you're gonna kick yourself. I don't understand wow. guys that want to give their edits away. Yeah. Like, I, there's yeah, a, I yeah. belong to a handful of like um, f- film groups for DPs specifically, and yeah. um, and like one of the one of the interesting things when you leave like the the small market world, the videographer world, and when you move into like the film production and film mm. set world, um, to be a jack of all trades can can actually um, read like you're an amateur, yeah. and oh, so totally. folks specialize. Yeah, and one yeah. of the odd downsides to becoming hyper specialized is that a dp a director of photography can go many many years in their career without having been forced to edit their own footage and some of like or even touch a camera anymore totally and 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 this distance allows you to be hyper specialized and you might be really increasing your skill set in one area but one of the biggest for me and i saw other folks comment on this in this particular conversation was like the process of painfully watching your own flaws and like painfully watching your own um, process via via the footage later yeah. is where the greatest learning happens because like you will never forget it again when you see those mistakes and those jitters and like those things that you think when you're in in the moment, hey, this will probably be excusable. You rationalize in the edit. it when no. you're forced to realize the areas that hey, that actually did get fixed by an edit or hey, this can't be fixed by an edit. You do those a handful of times. And you're stuck with that edit yourself, and you do learn those lessons. I was telling a guy last week, I was like, why are you cutting your drone shot so quick? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I need handles. Like, I got to, if I'm going to, if I want to, I cannot roll, I, I can't do a crossfade on that shot you just made. Right. And he was like, and I'm like, you need to shoot for edit. Right. You have to think about giving me the handles on this shot. Right. So I, I can can't finish. do a checkerboard cross. I can't do my heart fade. fade if I <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're shooting trees, so we're gonna do a tree fade. Yeah. Ooh, like yeah. Christmas tree. Mm. <laughs> but like until you edit, you don't think that way. And I've realized like editing is my first love. I'm meh about shooting. Mm. Like I like to shoot, but I really like to edit. That's why we're exact opposites. Because like, yeah, I like I'm, shooting. I I'm disagree with shooter. you completely. Yeah. yeah, I really like to edit. I like to direct. I like to think about what we're making. Right. Make sure it gets made. That's right. what's important to me. If someone's better with the camera in their hand, I'll let them do all the shooting. I take no pride in it. Mm. <laughs> um, even though I don't mind shooting, but I, but I'll say to someone like, "That's not going to work in the edit bay." Right. And I realize this person doesn't know. Right. Because they they're like they're thinking. Oh, I don't want to shoot too much because then it's gonna be annoying in post production. I'm like, no, you can't shoot too much. You can definitely shoot too little. Right. That's a great, great message. <laughs> like, I need handles on all your shots. Did you feel like you hit like a creative wall when you got to the wedding industry? And how did you, I guess, get through that kind of wall? What was that transition like when you started doing weddings? Weddings came very early. So weddings were there in the beginning. Yeah. There was never really a transition into weddings. Um, my, um, when I was a musician, I was in a band with uh, Jarrett Blinkhorn, who does JB Horn film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Jarrett and I have been friends since we were little kids. And um, Jarrett was filming videos. I, whenever I was making a music video or doing my own performance, Jarrett was always the one filming. So I learned watching Jarrett. And Jarrett entered the wedding industry before I ever got into photography or video. And he brought me on as a second shooter and he really like was my mentor and like really brought me up and taught me basically everything that I know 
about cameras yeah. and cinematography. He also is in both worlds and he's in horror and like cinema world and weddings. Um, but the overlap was enough. And also I was on the receiving end of his shooting so That's much. That's a weird that, dichotomy. Did you yeah. say horror? horror? Yeah, he's like a horror film director. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was like, well, maybe I just don't Sorry, know. I just breezed <laughs> yeah. over that. But yeah, yeah. He's, he's a really accomplished director and also great camera operator. That's really neat. And, yeah. um, and also just like a child of the DIY world. And so I was able to learn like a lot of practical and technical knowledge from being doing sound for Jarrett's films and then like second shooting for weddings for him. And so... Um, we kind of, um, he really like ushered me into the wedding industry being like, Hey, this is a thing that you yep. could do. You could also help me out. Um, Hey, also I, he, one of his, one of my main entry into the wedding industry was that Jarrett had a phone meeting with a client who he absolutely fell in love with. Like they were incredible. And then through some reason, either double booking or something, he wasn't available to do it. And he was like, I don't want these, this couple to like leave our ecosystem. Will you learn to shoot weddings in six months? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so I, my wife was a bridesmaid in two weddings. And so she shot, I, I shot those weddings um, as, as practice pra yep. to ramp up for that one that Jarrett had sent me. And that was sort of my entry to the field. So um, weddings have always been something that I've not only, um, I didn't have to just break into them. Weddings have sort of been there. Um, weddings were, this, were where I learned technical stuff about how to work in complex light. Um, weddings are where I learned to follow focus um, but more than anything, like weddings are my first paid gigs. And so weddings to me are like something that I have a lot of gratitude for because they not only taught me these like really difficult skills in a really fast way, in a really high stakes way, but they also were the highest paying thing that I was doing. And so weddings also afforded me my first round of real gear, which is how I was able to actually leave my job and go freelance and like enter this world. So. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of love for what weddings have meant in my life. Um, and so any sort of creative hurdles, because we're, we're, I'd like to talk more about yeah. like the creative challenges of the wedding world compared to like the cinema world. Yeah, I think but, that's like, a really it's interesting found thing. found in like a deep gratitude because I'd never have forgotten what my life is because of like the wedding industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I, I think we should dive in there. Um, I, I think to kind of, preface and and Jay mentioned it a little bit was just talking about um your work I, I think your work definitely stands out when I see your work I'm like oh that's Rich Ferry you know that that's like I wouldn't have to someone wouldn't have to tell me I'm like oh that's Rich's stuff can um, I and I just as a commentary I was <clears throat> I was watching it you sent me some newer stuff and some wedding stuff I think it's changed I think it still looks like your work but I can see some evolutions but the no. thing I noticed is like there's a lot of guys out there that we talked about. Like, I like the Henry Martin's work a lot. I find it to be really inspiring. Um, you know, there's people like White and Reverie, and there's people like Sculpting with Time mm -hmm. who are doing, I don't even know how they have time to make those films. Yeah. You're just seeing, and you're like, did these people work with these people for like five days to yes. make this movie? I don't know how they made it. The biggest thing I've noticed with your work is it, I know that it was just shot the same way my stuff was, mm -hmm. but it looks better. <laughs> it's yeah. just no, a no, it's right. this is not in a pejorative way. No. It's just it's a normal no. wedding film cre shot in a cinematic way, not a cinematic film built around a wedding. I know what you're saying. No. I no. shoot if you if you were a guest at a wedding. Yes. I'm doing the same damn thing. Yep. You know, yep. I look I'm shooting like everybody else. I'm shooting on like small body Sony's and like little handheld gimbals and sweating and running around like a lunatic. Yeah. And it doesn't look any different. It doesn't look extra cool or like extra what it doesn't look different. You don't have them um, at like five different engagement sessions no, and make them no. float. Yeah, in and the you're ocean right. Like the the, the wedding happens inside of the regular day and the wedding is stuck in the country clubs and stuck in the hotel rooms. It's not anointed in some way. Like I'm not shooting weddings <laughs> that are all in Iceland and like Tahoe and like Well, and I think that's yeah. important. If you're listening yes. and you're a person who I've seen several questions in various message boards about people who are really frustrated and they're like, oh, I can't make my films look like sculpting with time. Right. Where are they making these movies? How are they meeting these brides? How, How do they... you get your bride to spend 20 grand on your wedding film? Yeah, right? Rich, yeah. you know, like Ray Roman making this, he's shooting with an actual crane. Right. You know, right. and it's like, 
It's a totally different beast. What they're doing is awesome. I, I'm not knocking it, but I think what I would want to impress on someone is like, go look at Rangeley Films and just shoot better. So that's sort of like, um, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think that's uh, it's very flattering to hear from like other incredible cinematographers. But the the reality is like, um, there's a tension inside of weddings photo for sure but I think even stronger inside of video, there's this tension that says your goal is to make this as artful and as beautiful as possible. And your other goal fights against that, which is that you want to appear as chill and laid back mm -hmm. and a mm -hmm. steward of a very chill day for your couple. Create the right Probably. energy. Yeah. Which and, is and also create the not right energy, my natural energy. For, your, for your guests, guest experience. And so those two fight against each other all the time. And so the only reason that I, um, that I think that you're seeing something that's sort of – something is elevating about the stuff that I'm doing in your, to your eyes. And I think the only reason is that like the way that I'm doing that balance is just favoring a look slightly more than somebody else. So like my thought process around image making, just like where, how I'm function, working with light, how I'm choosing to shoot it from a technical perspective and also just like – um, a staging perspective, moving and nudging people and events uh, is maybe just going an extra step, thinking about it a little bit more and just being like hyper intentional to say like this image that I'm seeing on my monitor, um, is this as artful as I can possibly make it? And if I were to sacrifice 15 to 30 more seconds right now, could I elevate it further? So mm -hmm. this is not, could I bring in a crane and a crew? That's not 15 second nudges. But like, can I can I make subtle nudges every single time that I see an opportunity to make a nudge, where I can just elevate it a little bit? How do you think the sum of those pieces is what makes a video look like a home movie or something that's like cinematic, but not cinematic in the way that we talked about these sort of like Real internet cinema. people, yeah. cinematic inside of a Marriott hotel and a yes. country club yep. wedding. So within reason. Yes. How do you find what the other thing I noticed is it. It does look like you're getting what you want usually out of the shot. Yeah. And I think that obviously comes with you understanding where the compromises are. And so I know you're not always getting what you want. I know oftentimes you're compromising. You're making the best of a – which is the opposite of real production. If you've never done real production, obviously there are compromises made. But, like, it's not unusual to be like, hey, we're going to be, you know, staging this lighting for three hours until yeah. we get it right. Which <clears throat> I know a lot of wedding filmmakers – don't have the first clue about production right. and lighting and the things that go into it. But we, I do know that there's a lot of times where you're getting the shot that you want. You're getting a bride to do something that you want. You're getting the face that you want. Right. You're getting, how do you find a, just working with the couples to get them to maybe play a little more cinematic on camera yeah. and then B working with other especially photographers, but maybe planners, but other wedding vendors to also come across in a way that they're going to want to refer you or they're going to not mm. feel like you're getting in the way and, and not creating that tension. Because I know in, in our industry with wedding videographers, a lot of these people have major, they don't know how to reconcile what they perceive to be the fact that they're totally marginalized on the wedding day. They don't know how to... You're like, referring to videographers yes, specifically. Yes, videographers. Yeah. I don't have this problem. I don't... <clears throat> I don't personally experience it, but I'm very assertive. If I really need something, I'll get it. But mostly Jared and I are pretty chill to just get yeah. what we can get. But how do you reconcile those things? I hear two different questions, which yeah. is like meet a couple mm -hmm. and like me as a function of the group, meaning me, couple, and photographer. Yes. And those are yep. separate. So totally. Um, the simplest like high impact thing that I've started to do is remove the me couple factor. I've tried to, I've started to find my people in the New England world who are my photographers that I've worked with and we've said like, oh, I see you. You are my people. Like we're doing a portrait session together and I pose a couple and the photographer's like, I'm stealing that. And then the photographer poses them and I'm like, oh, I'm stealing that. And we're, we're, we're feeding off of each other's energy. So the simplest high impact choice I've done is be like, I really want to know 
that I can primarily shoot weddings with photographers that I know not only their visual style, but their personality What is it style. about Joe Lauren that makes it so good for video? Because so, I feel the same well, way. Joe I've is, shot with Joe a couple of times, and I tell every guy, oh, your footage is going to look awesome. Right, because Joe is so kinetic. Well, so Joe is uh, not only a photographer that I, like, admire and love, but also, like, a very close friend and uh, a creative friend and now someone who I shoot weddings with a lot. And we've Joe and I have been lucky enough to do a lot of styled shoots together and like really creative stuff where there's no restrictions, where you have do-overs. And so we've gotten the chance to see what each other would do in an ideal scenario. Hey, how would you behave with a model and the opportunity to do redos? How would you behave? And so Joe and I are particularly attuned to each other and we're really calibrated. Um, but he represents for me like sort of the ideal scenario because visually we're looking for the exact same thing and and, and personality-wise we're going to coach couples and we're going to behave the same way. But that you can't have that as a starting videographer and you can't have that if you work in larger markets. And so when I when I leave the Rhode Island world and I'm in Boston or I'm in Maine, I'm, I'm going to be working with, with other people. Um, and so that's the dream scenario, right? So the, the other scenario is like, the, the, what most people will experience, what I've always experienced up until very recently is two things. Expectation setting between me and my couples and sort of explaining to them on the front end very, very much in those phone calls. Hey, please really watch this video that I sent you. And now let me really concretely explain to you some of the words that were being said in the room or during that portrait session to make a shot like that happen. Mm. Really clearly explaining how I do my thing to couples so that they're not surprised and that they really early on on the front end go like, oh, this is not my guy. And I could say like, oh, you're not my couple. It's very, very clear in those phone calls how I do my thing. And then the other piece is like, how do you work that, that little community of photographer, videographer, couple? And how do you deal with, what was the word that you used? Because I thought it was perfect. Like the dissonance that happens between, there's like a, there's like a competitiveness because, oh, videographers are, have been historically marginalized because photo is more expensive and more frameable and the video is sort of an afterthought. Yeah, and even just when you're on the, the food chain, you're eating last. Totally. And so there's that, that tension is one that I've had. I've unfortunately had some of the most awful experiences of my professional career inside it and outside of video have been with photographers who are absolutely incensed that a videographer is involved in this day in some way that's intimate and they have lost their minds and have become like, um, predatory they'll like they'll actually try to steal the couple in a way that like they don't tell me mm. or like they're they're trying to do things that create tension i've had but these are not my people they're not the people that when you see them and you're like oh, i like you you're gonna be we're gonna have a great day together they're the kind of photographers that are from a different mindset and they're from a different potentially a different era yeah. because the videographer with the tripod on the rolly wheels on the dance floor has probably created a negative impression on them. Yeah, and now they're like, I, they're I'm going like, to bulldoze through any PTSD with videographers. So I'm, I'm, it's, I think I understand where they come from. But at the end of the day, it's extremely disruptive to my process. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of couples and um, I, I was talking to some people about it um, earlier this week, other videographers, and talking about hearing from couples like, Hey, this videographer that we went, we went to a wedding over the weekend and the videographer was super duper intrusive and and I think yeah they are marginalized the videographer because that's the impression of them and you know there's a lot of videographers giving us kind of a bad name you know I think I don't think you do that you know because it's all about like intimacy and like during the portrait session and you know for the most part like we're wanting to be unobtrusive um I like that I like that you actually walk them through beforehand like Hey, these are the. This is how I get this kind of shot because you you are finding those people. I think we've kind of based our model on being just documenting, and so we kind of are like we're not going to risk that because we've had those bad encounters too. Yeah. We're like, oh, we're going to take a step back and just we're we're shooting you know these kind of people. Um, can you maybe walk through some of like a portrait session yeah. with a, a good photographer with the Joe Lauren? Yeah, walk through maybe what that looks like. Is it is it you know, because what we do is usually the photographer's director, they're the person that's going to be filming. We're going to document. There might be a couple shots here and there that we might want to get in. We'll probably on. get a gimbal push or someone dancing. Yeah. Like two things we'll ask for. Or, or like the easy, like the photographer's like, all right, let's go back to the tent. Okay. 
hold hands and we're, I'm just going to yeah, get you guys yeah, yeah. film you we're guys We're pretty much based our business model off being the most compliant people in the world. Yeah. yeah. So just well, walk through you, the portrait so session. So I'm, yeah. I'm just want yeah. to comment before we, yeah. we do that. That will get you extremely far. I built my entire portfolio on sniping over the photographer's shoulder. Yeah. And everything went great until it didn't, which is like I started to establish a look. Yes. I, but, yes. but by yep. not, not by my decision. I happen to have found couples that had a look, that got married at a barn, had a photographer that was on brand, and mm-hmm. posed them in a way. And I was like, I am killing it. Mm-hmm. And then the photographer changed. And I got a totally different style of photographer yes. who was shooting with like umbrellas, yep. um, flash, front-facing flash, Ugh. front-facing sun, 2 p.m. portrait session, exposing for the background, and, I didn't t- and um, this kind of photographer. Dip, 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 go to kiss, don't kiss. Don't kiss. Hold yeah. it. Oh, hold it. Yeah. And um, and I had never encountered that before. And then I realized that a lot of what I was good at, I wasn't good at. I was just stealing yes. the pose from another yep. photographer. Exactly. And that's when I realized, like, I need to next time I'm with a person, a character like Joe Lauren, who has this energy on set, yes. you know, that I need to not only work with folks like that, but when I'm stuck without him, I need to learn what is that energy that person like him is bringing that's resulting in these, like, gorgeous images that I now learn Ain't me. I mm. wasn't doing it. Mm. I was actually stealing the the pose from the photographer. So yeah. it came from the idea that like I used to do that, and I used to want to not be a burden until I realized that like I cannot deliver my products because the photographer is posing them in the opposite light of what I can work with in the opposite poses. And so I started to realize I had to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And for <clears throat> what's I funny, will answer your question. Yeah, yeah, I will yeah. get that. No, it makes sense. It's it's funny that you brought up Joe again because like. It's interesting. I mean, everyone has a person like that. I th- hopefully, hopefully, every videographers work with a person who understands, even if they don't mean to understand, they understand the values of movement yeah. and natural light yeah. Yeah. and couple interaction. You need a person that makes people talk to each other, makes people touch each other, makes people right. kiss, right. makes people posing. There are some poses that are fine, yes. but like it never looks good on video to. Almost kiss, almost kiss. Yeah. Oh, turn my camera off. I don't even yes. want to look at that. But um, I will say I've had the same experiences. I remember working with a couple, Joe, and then a couple other people who I'm like, wow, why does this look so good? I feel like a good shooter. Yeah. And then other times I'll work <laughs> with someone, I'm like, I suck at so this. So let, yeah. let me answer Jared's original question because yeah. it's related to this. So, um. When I speak, so the process of running a portrait session begins a year in advance on the phone call. Yeah. And that's really the big differentiation. It's, it's, it's a, a year in advance taking myself out of the passenger seat and influencing the path of the day. So like timeline and light are the third questions I ask. What is your wedding date? Who is your photographer? Mm. And what time are we doing portraits? That's my process. Then we talk about price and everything else. Like that is the order of things. So like, and I can't take credit for that. That's a Joe, that's Joe's process. And Joe taught me that, you know, about being like, our cameras shoot tiny little low quality crap JPEGs when you're shooting video. I always tell guys. And we don't have the luxury of being handed terrible light and salvaging it later. Like there, so when I recognize that, my ability to do a great job, um, rely on it being in better and more flattering light. I brought that into the conversation really early. The second thing I do with couples on the phone is explain to them that like, I'm going to do my very best to be that thing that you guys described. I'm going to do my very best to be this fly on the wall, chill dude, documentary guy. I'll play that character. During our portrait session, you'll hear from me. And then you won't hear from me again, and I'll disappear again. And I promise you that I won't pose you much, but I'm going to own a part of that portrait session. And then I pause and say, how is this feeling? Like, does this, when you look at my videos and you look at what you've seen, did what I just say surprise you? Or does it align with what you expected was going on behind the scenes? And I ask them to sort of like dialogue with me about that. And that really helps because almost all the time, couples will either say totally, obviously, or they'll say, no, I didn't know that. And then we have a chance to talk about it. And right away, I can start to figure out, will I be able to have a portrait session that's like an active process between me and the photographer? Or was that not even in the cards for them? And maybe we're not a good fit because it's such a huge piece of real estate in my edit um, and in my timeline. Mm-hmm. And so like, once I explain to them that process, we then decide whether we're into that idea. 
And that is when the timelining piece comes out. So by the time the wedding comes up, I've already talked about the kind of light I'm going to want to put them in. I've already talked to them about the way that I'm going to want to share time with the photographer. And I've already talked to them about the fact that I, I will be giving them instructions and like yelling funny commands at them the entire time we're working. And that, that was something that we set really early on. And like that was something that we as a four person unit were like really stoked on. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. no matter what this day goes like and no matter how many compromise we make in challenging light, that the four of us are going to go do that thing we said we're going to do in that light that we said we're going to love. And it's going to be beautiful. And everyone here is going to feel fulfilled. And it's going to be over in 18 minutes. And then we're going to go party again. Mm-hmm. So like expectation setting about your light, not just about your demeanor, has been really transformative. I don't know, Jared, but I, I don't know if we disagree on this or agree on this or how we like... I feel this is how I feel as a filmmaker. I feel like photographers just shoot all day, and they a lot, a lot of them. You're gonna get in trouble. uh, Whatever. (laughs) A lot of them, I'm like, do you know how even to make a good image? Like, (laughs) like, and then I'll see their work, and I'm like, oh yeah, it looks pretty good. But I'm like, this is terrible looking. Why are you settling for this? Why are we not making these people go to this beautiful light? Why are we not making a good image? Why don't you, like, I get that feeling. And, and like, there are times where I'm like, hey, I really want to do sunset. I'm very insistent on it. Yeah. Um, and, but photographers will be like, meh. They'll say something like, they don't really want to go out. And I'm like, I'm going to make them go out. Yeah. And I will go and have that conversation. Relatable conversation. And then I will say like, hey, we're going to go out. Do you want to come with me, photographer? Yeah. Like, yeah. but like, I, I do think, I mean, we talked about this privately before, but I do think that there is a technical reason for that. Yes. I think there's a, mm-hmm. there's an image quality. There's a, there's a number of stops of dynamic range. There's a salvageability that comes with shooting raw photos um, that doesn't exist in video. And there's also another critical thing, which is, I think, overlooked. We always talk about image quality, but we also need to remember portfolio. So like a photographer, for example, could blast out one or two sort of HDR looking photos where you mm-hmm. have a crazy amount of latitude and dynamic range. And then the rest of the portfolio is shot more natural where the windows blow out and the shadows yeah. are correct, right? But because for a certain aesthetic they wanted to do one or they made a black and white image with a film aesthetic that lifted the shadows in a crazy way and brought, blew the highlights down in a crazy way, that would, it doesn't seem weird because the image is viewed Still. as a standalone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the video, we need to actually say like, hey, I'm going to make a conscious choice to shoot at a certain contrast ratio. That's not a number on your camera. That's like a mental choice that says I will make sure that I'm always working with shadow and highlight information that lives inside of this arbitrary contrast ratio. Mm-hmm. And so during the moment, you can look at a, a, at a high sun moment and a raccoon eye shadow moment and you can say, hey, that violates my internal idea of what my desired contrast ratio looks like. This can't work. Where mm. the photographer is not having that experience at all. They're just like, oh, I'll either keep this image or I won't, or I'll edit it differently or I won't. I'll just make it disappear. Yeah. Whereas the photo, the video actually lives in conjunction with the clips prior to it. However, it looks in the camera is how it looks. Right, but it's it's and you can have a very high contrast moment in a, but the problem is that the video. That clip lives next to your low contrast moments. They can't be separated and posted as individual images. So four like, months later, they're they're <laughs> exactly. And so like part of the tension that exists in the video world is not just that the image quality is lower per frame in a video, but more that the idea of a gallery and a portfolio is like a. Uh, uh, afterthought for photographers, they might have a general sense of their aesthetic and their portfolio, but they, they don't need to be. Every image doesn't need to align with the portfolio. Whereas in the video, the images live together. They can't be separated. Mm. There's one video. How, how do you balance, I guess, the the first look that happens at 2 o'clock that yeah. you know the client is going to need to yeah. see in their video? They talk about it. It's important to them. Yes. Or, or first look with dad outside or whatever. Totally. How do you balance that philosophy with that moment that doesn't fit those boxes? Do you just kind of like plow through and do it for a couple seconds and then... Yeah. Ail to like the good sunset photos and get back to what your your image is. How how do you? I guess that's a balance? really really great question. I mostly just throw a temper tantrum. Yeah, yeah. Cuss at your computer and. <laughs> uh, yeah. So three things. Yeah. Uh, number one is try to influence the moment. I walk into the hotel room in the morning, and the first thing I say to the photographer is hi. The second thing I say is like, let's brainstorm first look. Yeah. 
in a way that says, how can I make as few compromises as possible? Here yes. are some general aesthetics that I want, which is like a dark background, a bright light. I want it to serve as a hair light, which is a backlight. And um, can we make that compromise? Will you be able to do that in whatever bright light environment we're about to do? If I can't have that, the second thing I do is um, shoot it in a, in a way that has as much recoverable as possible. So I either make a decision on the moment in my monitor whether I'm going to save the highlights and clip the shadows black or whether I'm going to save the shadows and clip the highlights black. And I know because of the image quality of my image that that's a forever choice. So I make a like cut your losses decision. Mm. That's option two and you roll with it. Option three I'm sorry, option two is your cut your losses option. Yeah. And then I decide in the edit whether I want to destroy it further with an effect. Okay. Maybe I'll make it look like a vintage film because I clipped the shadow so badly or clipped the highlights so badly that it'll actually lean into the effect. So that's the one that kind of stinks because yeah. that's the one that you're forced to say, hey, there's a pretty obvious flaw in this, that there's mm -hmm. not enough latitude. Mm -hmm. Option three is the one that I wanted to just mention, which is that like sometimes you realize that golden hour and low contrast shooting is not the only way to make a beautiful image. Yes. And so option three is being surprised. Yeah. It's having a temper tantrum in your own mind and then going out and shooting in totally bad light, like me measurably bad light, what we always refer to as unflattering light, yeah. and trying to shed that like panic mode and being mm -hmm. like, is there anything beautiful happening in here light-wise? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And not just the moment, but like, and, and the third option is surprise yourself by saying, hey, this photographer, is not a nitwit. This photographer no. is a skillful artist yeah, not. who has a totally different aesthetic than me. Like, what in the world are they seeing in this moment? Stand with them, shoot it, and be like, huh, it's well, a little different for me, but like, it's kind of beautiful. Well, yeah. that's what I was yeah. going to say is like, yeah. one thing that's helped me a lot is trying to understand the people I'm working with. Yeah. Going like, I still sometimes I'm like, I have walked away from people being like, that person didn't give a crap and I don't respect them. Not often, but it has happened. Not often. But generally what happens is we have differences of opinion, and I try to go like, okay, I know what I had in my head of what I wanted or needed, but I don't – what do they want? Why? What do they need, and why did people hire them? Right. Like someone liked it, Ugh. and the couple liked it. Ugh. So how do mm. I lean into that? Yep. And sometimes mm. I can't because I honestly am not that familiar with their work or – it just doesn't work. Right. But sometimes you can, like you said, sometimes you can put yourself in their headspace and recalibrate yourself. And then what's cool is then you learn a new skill. That's it. Which I've enjoyed yep. is yep. like, oh, I can shoot a different way. Yeah. Or sometimes I'm like, this sucks. I can't get anything good. And then I just do some weird like frame I've never you do tried. something weird. <laughs> yeah. I think harsh lighting <laughs> is kind of interesting. Like I, I was listening to, um, you ever hear of the Blacklight podcast? No. It's a couple couple photographers. They just talk about. They just eat. They Cheetos just talk and, and they have guests on. Uh, but they were talking <laughs> about kind of experimenting with harsh light and not getting complacent with yeah. a shooting of like like you said. You know, like sunset is a videographer's binky. It's just like oh, I can always rely on that. But like seeing harsh shadow as something that's a place to kind of experiment earlier in the day and you know. Right. Um, experimentation opening discovery your, is fun. Yourself yeah. up we were. To say, can I be surprised by this? Yeah, yeah. Well, I w we were shooting. I was shooting with Benj Hayes last week and That's so we, cool. and it was the it was a wonderful wedding, but a couple of things happened around a couple of the sessions that were no one's control, no one's fault. It was just terrible light. Okay. And he had a great plan. We all agreed on it together. And then something happened and we had to move into the worst light possible. <sighs> this guy is has two hundred thousand Instagram followers. Right. He's a big deal. He's Benj Hayes. And he was standing in this little piece of grass at 2 p.m., all top lit, shooting all the bridal party. And it was just. So this wasn't the, the boardroom photo that the, the no. roommate. <laughs> he also, they like, it's, and it was like, he just did it and he was fine with it. And I was like, oh, this happens to him too. Right. And yeah. it's like, it happens yeah. to everybody, yeah. every, not just us as video. I think videographers have a bit of a persecution complex a little bit because we're like some yeah. rightful, some just. <laughs> well, it's, it's not even a photo video thing. It's, it's, it's just, even the, hey, right. this ex expensive, really well-known photographer, the same issues that I go through, this person deals with, and they just deal with it way better than I do. They're just way better than so I am. So you're saying he yeah. wasn't having like an emotional experience. He, with it. It he was just told sort of like me personally, like, this sucks. I don't like it. Right. But he was very professional. 
He right. did his very best, and he he was just like, "Yeah, we're just gonna do it because this is what we have to do." I, I had a couple this weekend. I was doing photos on Saturday, and he wasn't a prima donna. Did did this did this awesome? Uh, it was it was this awesome tent wedding. It was overlooking all these cranberry bogs down by the oh. cave. It was awesome. It was sweet looking, and uh, in on the outside, the venue had set up all these um, white bags with like fake candles on the inside in the shape of a heart. In the field, and then did you bring your drone? I like, I like, took a photo of the tent, kind of with that in the background. But I'm like, yeah, it's not really my thing. Take a photo of this art in the field. But the, both moms come up to me. They're like, <laughs> the moms. They're like, did you see that art <laughs> in the field? I was like, oh yeah, I got a photo of it. They're like, we would love to see. This is two. They came up to me separately. We would love to see. <laughs> I don't photo envy this part about being a photographer. By the way, no one talks to me. And no I'm one like, talks to photographers. I know it's 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 an Very experience. Different. I've been Very doing different. a lot more photo this year and, and and kind of splitting 50-50. It's it's different. It's fun. But uh, I was like, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. We can we can do this this uh, this photo. And you know. You do the best you can, and I actually brought them out there, and I was like, "This is gonna be awful." I was gonna have to like front flash them, and it's pitch black, by the way, pitch black. Oh, <laughs> it's not even like twilight time where it's like you can maybe come up with something, but it's pitch black. They come up to me, I'm like, "All right, I'll bring a flash out there, bring them out there," and I started backlighting them. I was like, "Oh, okay, you know, it's not really my thing, but like they might like this photo. I'm not gonna put it on Instagram, but you know, hey, they're gonna like it. Good right. client experience, and you know." But you come across those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So let's talk a little bit about creating art. Yeah. And um, just this conflict of identity, I think, that is – I think it's easier as a production guy, by the way, for me to make the adjustment because I'm like, well, it's production work and crap happens on production and I'm problem solving. That's totally. really what I'm doing. I'm like, oh, this sucks and how do I fix it? That's what you do all day on any – photographers will go like – build their entire portfolio around creating the, their ideal circumstance. Yeah. And, but I, so I know for, and I'm probably florists deal with this and wedding planners deal with this when they say, turn off the video lights, all those things are like, people had an idea in their mind of what they wanted to make as an artist, because I consider everyone their artists in their own way, even the chefs, mm -hmm. everyone's making something that they take pride in. And then, having to compromise because of the tension, the velocity, I think, of a wedding day, the fact that your subject is not a professional, they're a person. Who? How does that kind of, as a because your, your commercial work, very controlled, yeah, very buttoned up, and then you get into that scenario and it's just pure chaos. What kind of, like, exercise are you doing in your mind and how, like, <clears throat> really more, like, existentially as an artist, yeah. like, do you feel like less of an artist when you shoot weddings? Wow, savage, that's a good question. question. Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> My God, this is a tough question because I think I want to go back to the earliest thing I said, which is like my deep gratitude towards weddings. Yeah. So I feel weirdly about this because like, yes, the answer is yes. I think, I think I feel, um, I know that I feel weird about weddings when I have to describe to somebody in the filmmaking world that I shoot weddings and I be, I listen to the amount of qualifiers I use in my speech. So, that, so I know that it feels somehow lesser. There's a lesser integrity, mm -hmm. but I don't know where that reaction comes from because we're talking about like the emotional side of this work and like the ego side of this work. And like, I recognize inside of the industry when I speak to people like you guys, how absolutely proud I am to be like, yo, we made anything out yeah. of that. How incredible are yeah. we? Mm. We made anything watchable <laughs> out of that chaos. But when I leave the industry and I'm in the rest of the, the rest of the filmmaking world, it feels stigmatized. It feels like sort of like something you phone Do in. Do you think that's their problem or your problem? Now that I'm saying it out loud, it sounds more like a lack of understanding on their part. They're, they're picturing me as like dad with the tripod on the wheels. And yeah. you and I are talking about like, hyper subtle things like how we lit something or how we found a beautiful light in a Marriott How hotel. did I create a production with no planning whatsoever? Right. So I think, <laughs> in, so I think, um, I, I think that my heart for some reason always defers to feeling that weddings are a lesser form of art, but my brain understands that like you're using a hundred percent of the same skill set, um, 
that you're also using it at a really higher rate and pace. So it might be in some ways even of even higher integrity. Um, it's hard to know. Here's what I feel about it. I think you're. I think the frustrating part about it is when you think about what you are capable of versus what you're allowed to do. Yeah. And I think that is always frustrating. If someone's like, hey, I'm going to get rid of half your tools. Yeah. And you're yeah. still going to have to make something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's frustrating artistically. It makes it less satisfying. Yes. But the other way to look at it, I was telling you the other day, like, you know, I was listening to David Lynch talking, talking and he was talking about making films in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. He's talking about how we didn't have any of these things. There's no editing. There's hardly any reshoots. You've run out of film. All these things. Like, you just, the, the lighting was like a thousand degrees. How the heck are you going to, everyone's sweating constantly, but you have to make them look like they're not sweating. Or you ever watch people in the, like, the 30s horror movies where they have a guy with a spotlight the whole time? That's the only way they could light it. Crazy. And you're watching all this horrible filmmaking make good films. Right. Because, and then the other part about it is this. I think of art as intensely human. And when I look at a lot of the stuff that we make commercially, it doesn't mean anything. Right. It's selling something I don't care about. Yeah. It's representing things I don't care about. I don't, like, I care about my clients, but I don't often care even about what we're making. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't even use it. Right. It means nothing to me. But when I think about a wedding, I'm married. I'm, I like, I'm, I believe in marriage. I believe in people. And I'm like, you're an artist, and you don't want to make this meaningful thing. Of all the things you make, most of the commercial things will mean nothing to anyone. Right. But this will mean everything to someone. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's art. Right. How often do you get to make that? Who else in the world who's making art for a living can say, I made 20 things this year that meant the world to an entire family? Yeah. And it's like, that makes me feel like it's art. Mm -hmm. Because I'm like, this is bringing beauty into the world in a tangible way. It's moving the needle. A lot of the other stuff I do, I don't even know if it's making the world better. Right. It's just existing no. and i feel good because I, I made I you, it i hear you talk about ego a lot in this podcast and i, I think that that's the biggest piece of how you deal mm. with like making compromises as an artist and if you if you if you check your ego and you say like hey i'm serving this couple and i'm serving marriage which i believe in mm -hmm. and like i'm serving this family which i believe in and um i get to i was paid money to try to make it even pretty yeah which is awesome because most people aren't ever asked to be creative at work. They're asked to do their job. They're not asked for what their opinion is on things. And so like the privilege, again, it's the privilege of being able to shoot people's weddings is, um, is the critical tool that is the tool to fight back against the inevitable uh, creative challenges that you run into when you say, this is not going the way that I want it to go. The, the, the strongest tool that you have is an ego check that says mm -hmm. like, yes, but inside of the macro, where does this thing that I'm doing today s serve? And how does it function within the spectrum of the ways that people are employed in 2019? And you, and you and you say like this is on the spectrum of that employment pool. This is way up there in terms of checking a lot of emotional boxes, a lot of meaning boxes, and a lot of like creative fulfillment boxes. And so my method and and um something that I've been trying to share with other people because I was like a chronically anxious and which would turn into angry wedding videographer um, would be that I every morning before I go into the first prep location, I like sit in my car and I remind myself to ask this question when I run into my first challenge, which is like, why is this bad? And every time throughout the day that I find myself getting like really, really emotional for the things that we've just discussed that can really rock you during a day, bad light, tough photographers, et cetera. I stop and say, like, why is this bad? Like, what about this intrinsically is bad? And when you run that line of questioning backwards, why is this bad? Because top lighting them is bad. Why is that bad? Because it makes the shadows too strong. Why is that bad? And as you run it backwards, you immediately leave the couple. You immediately leave the story of their love. You immediately leave 
the majesty of getting married and you start talking about other videographers uh -huh. opinions of your shadow information yes yeah you you can't do it's that true. you cannot do that line of questioning and arrive at the couple no never it always at the very at the best it arrives at this idea of yourself it's 100 percent how you'll be perceived by other people mm -hmm. and so before i had this, this little toolkit i would just get super angry and i would say things like hey i have the ability to make something beautiful for this couple and this thing or this photographer or this environmental factor is stopping me from making the most beautiful thing for them. And so it seemed to me like my anger was rooted in wanting to serve the couple. Mm -hmm. But when you ask it in a different way, it was serving an, uh, an ego and a brand look and it wasn't serving the couple because they would not care. And it's not like those things are totally unimportant. No. They're just not worth destroying your happiness or someone else's happiness. Right now. And, and, and what you do find is like life affords plenty of opportunities to get exactly what you want. You don't need everything to go your way. <laughs> no. Yes. I think ego definitely plays a role. Uh, we, we were recently, I was in Paris. We did like this kind of stylized shoot, like a proof of concept kind of video. We got a new camera. We're like, let's go try it out. Let's hire a model. Let's do all this stuff. Um, and I hadn't really done that kind of stylized shoot in a while because we're in the middle of wedding season, all this stuff. Um, I think it's as a creative, it's just a different kind of rush. Like you put together this plan, you have all these steps, you work really hard in the pre-production, right? right? You're putting all these steps together and then you execute and you execute really well. There's a satisfaction in that yeah. that you can't get simply by shooting a wedding where everything's out of control. It's like, I'm just along for the ride. If I get these angles and maybe during the portrait session, I'll hop in and I'll have my little control session. Right. But for the most part, it's the satisfaction, I think, as a creative of just, hey, we executed on this and we did it really well. We put this plan together and we knocked you know it what? out That's an interesting, I've never really, I know that when you talk about Huxley, we're like, we need pre-production. Mm -hmm. But that is why it feels sad. Pre-production is what makes production satisfying. Yeah. If yeah. you don't do pre-production, I don't think there's possibility of having a very satisfying every once in a while you have satisfying relationships or a satisfying session but i never walk away from a wedding feeling uh, this is maybe just me i'm always like yeah i did a like about myself right right I it's always, kind of a roll of the dice like oh, i'm so glad we got that good sunset shot i oh, always feel like i just we're lucky did i do a good job like mm -hmm. i always walk away going like is, are people going to find out i truly suck yeah, the, the classic imposter syndrome <laughs> like, that everyone faces. You don't feel that way with when you do pre-production because you mm. plan something and you execute it on your plan. Yeah. So you're. I like, feel that way. I don't I often feel that because way because I'm like, I'm putting all this work in up front. Like I literally have no excuses. At least with weddings, I have an excuse of like, oh, it's just out of control. That's why I can't. You know. Uh, yeah. But yeah. when you yeah. are planning, I think it's even more so where I you just, are I planning. Agree with Jared on this I way. don't I mind that, failing. Yeah. I yeah, don't mind failing. Pre-production says. The difference between events and set pre-production cinema world is that like events, you're a hero if you mm. pull something off that's beautiful. In pre-production, it was in the contract that yeah, you yeah, pull yeah. something beautiful. <laughs> you said it will look like this and here are my reference frames yeah. and then everyone's looking at your reference and being like, nah, that's yeah. not it. Yeah. You missed the mark. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is one of them. I, you know, that's another reason to be so grateful towards event work and stuff like that is it's, that like you're given permission the bar is much lower the bar is lower because if you have a mind for beauty if you have an eye to be like hey that's a really beautiful pocket of light in that weird place yeah. you're you're thought of as like um going above and beyond mm -hmm. and people are like i'm grateful that you brought some artisanship on top of your your correct yeah. documentation of the day you also elevated it how great and then in the production world you you said hey i'm going to be great and it's going to look great. And people are, they're, so they're viewing the final product and you yourself are viewing the final product with way less grace. Oh, totally. You're, you have a much, you've set a higher bar for yourself. And yeah, that feeling of driving home and being like, I don't know if I did it. I feel on productions as well. Yeah, I, I, just I like feel the sad. idea mm. of, um, <laughs> <laughs> you're real creative. <laughs> I just like the idea of having um, de definitive things. Yeah, no, I know. I don't like the idea of like, this is not an insult to couples. They are going to like it no matter what I do. It's a video about them. Yes. I'll make like, them happy. So I like the idea of like I succeeded or failed. Right. And I'm comfortable with that. 
I'm comfortable with like we failed. You know right away you failed usually in a production world. Yep. You're like, well, we tried this. We did a shoot recently. We had this idea for a shot with this track, and we kept trying the shot. And some there was conditions out of our control. I didn't even release the video. I was like, we failed. That video sucked. Right. Right. And yeah. I was like, I'm not going to release it. It's crap, and I'm not going to release it. And I was frustrated, but what I was happy about is I had concrete knowledge. Yeah, I learned something. So next time, I'm not going to do that. And I have sometimes I walk away from weddings and going, what could I have done better? I don't know. Right. I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling of like having nothing to grab onto to improve or learn. Right. You know, until you sit down in the edit bay, there's always something there. But in general, like with production, you immediately, not immediately, but often you, you know, at the end of the day, you have that sinking feeling that I screwed up right. or someone else screwed up and you know it. 100%. And you're going to call somebody and say, this isn't going to work yep. or, or like you got that feeling and then you get, it makes you so much better. You're like, you're improving so quick. I feel like you can shoot for years in weddings and you learn relational tricks, but you're never forced to get better. Yeah. Because your mediocrity is good enough. I don't know. I think if you're your own editor, you have that same feeling. You're just alone with it. Yeah. You're, you're, mm-hmm. It's a more pro- you're not having that debrief in the car on the ride home and being like, "Hey, we messed up that production." But you're alone in the how edit much and you're worse like, is that? Yeah, sitting alone in your house. It's you can horrible. refer to my previous comment that I'm mostly just sad all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. Working with other people is always better. So yeah, I mean, but I think that's. I mean, your original question to me was like, "What is differentiating?" Yeah, the way that I shoot and the way that I deliver and the way that you shoot and the way that you deliver, there might be a healthy amount of distance because Stop Go Love in general has always been a team and mm-hmm. there's joint ownership. Yeah. So there's joint failure and there's um, inside of that, there's micro permission to be like, eh, not eh, we want to put out a mediocre, pro- mediocre product, but like, eh, hey, these things happen at weddings, man. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Like yeah. this yeah. is the natural thing that happens at weddings. And like it would be incredibly weird for you to storm out of the editing room and be like, you focus pumped as she walked down the aisle. I hate you for it. You would never even think Jared, the cut thought. This, cut this guy off 20 You would never think yeah. the thought because it's too small. Yeah. The product is delivered. The couple is happy. The whole vibe was not ruined. It wasn't a problem. Yeah. When it's yourself, you're like, yeah, but I did. Yeah. And yet, but it's in there. Yeah. What is wrong yeah. with And me? why are you like this? And <laughs> why can't you not be like this? Why can't you be perfect? And so there's something about being My your own. My dad will never love me. <laughs> being your own editor, I think, is like a, um, it really, it's, a, it's, it's not pleasant, but it's very, very effective to have that level of what you refer to as like quick growth in the production world. I feel like that happens mm. to me and continues to happen to me um, all the time. Yeah, I don't know for me, like, <clears throat> there's all kinds of mistakes I make when I go back and I never watch my footage anymore. Like, every once in a while, like, when I try to, but not the way that I would like to. Mm-hmm. And if I was editing the footage, I would definitely change some things. Because mm-hmm. I do it. When I look at other guys' footage, I'll walk up to them and I'm like, don't shoot like that. Right. I need you to do this. Like, <clears throat> and sometimes I do it with myself, too. But I think that's one of the, for those of you guys that are like, I can't wait to give my edits away. Just get ready to stay exactly the same with your filmmaking. That's that's really it. Like you repro- gain you gain time and and clarity and distance from your work, um, but your growth will slow down. You will. Sure. It will a lot. You will have to force yourself. Um, so let's just close on just talking a little bit about, you know, what's next for you. Like, oh. where do you see kind of? Are you in a place of clarity or do you feel like you're kind of as an artist and as an entrepreneur kind of still, are you comfortable or do you have a place you want to be that you're like, yeah, I know exactly where I want to be next? The target does move a lot for me. Uh, I discovered things and then I get really excited about them. And like I have, I have a moment where I go like, oh, this changes everything every six months, my whole life. Hmm. So take everything I say with a grain of salt because I, I you know, I didn't even know that the video, I was a high school teacher three Mm. years ago. Like this is just, the world is weird, you know, and life is weird. Mm. Um, And I was into other stuff, you know, I thought I was gonna be a musician when I was a kid and you know what I mean? So like, it's just, um, it's weird. But presently, um, I've been really, really enjoying being a DP and working on production sets and, and, and completely washing my hands, not only of the edit, but the thought of the edit 
and not only the production and the directing of the people and envisioning a thing, but actually never even thinking about that after pre-pro and being like, my job is to care about contrast ratios and the way that light wraps mm. and it doesn't wrap and the way that like we had a certain like vision for how bright the brights would be and what color cast it would be and like caring about every little bokeball in the background and how do we place those there and like being given a permission to be neurotic and and be and to care deeply about one thing has been so fulfilling that I've my big plan for the next few years is to be like I need a huge amount of my life to be spent on film sets as a DP and it equips me to be able to go to weddings and be like you know what this moment isn't the sum of who I am as an artist. This is That's one so of my. Important. This is one of my. Yes. This is one of my roles, yes. and this is a role that I'm extremely grateful for because it affords me a lifestyle with my family that I wouldn't be able to get in the production world. But then I can scratch the itch here and not have to have a whole ego-based experience inside of a wedding. Instead of a wedding, I can be more like, let's do the best we can. Let's serve the couple. Let's serve the story. And the DP world be like, your only job here is to be neurotic. So like. Let your free flag fly, yeah. you know, mm, yeah. and do that yeah. hard here. And yeah. so, like, what I've been trying to do moving forward is like take Rangeley Films and actually properly brand something I've never done, and create um, tiers of videos that are like that offer different stuff, um, and trying to raise my prices incrementally so that. Um, I'm shooting far fewer weddings so that each couple is actually mm. given more attention than I've currently been giving them, yeah. and. Um, and I'm able to do that because I'm doing more production work. So the current plan is is to lean more deeply into the hybrid, but actually allowing me to do DP work at a better capacity and to do weddings at a better capacity by just doing fewer of both of those things. Yeah. I think one of the things you said, and we'll kind of close with this, that I think is really important is if you're one of the things I hear people say a lot is, oh, I don't care about business. And we care about business, and one of the reasons we care about business is to get to create some distance between the art. I need a lot of ways to win, to feel happy. The game can't just be rigged on one thing. Yeah, it has to be. You have to give yourself because I've learned that, like as a dad, I have to give my kid an opportunity to win. As many brushing the teeth has to be a win. So, mm. like making everything, trying to satisfy yourself because we're reward based animals, right? If you don't create rewards in your life, you won't continue on behaviors if everything feels like a punishment. And so a lot of people, they base their entire self and ego and happiness off of the art. And then one way to make yourself more satisfied with your art is to make yourself satisfied as an entrepreneur and make that part of how you get an identity because you'll get some wins there. Sometimes you get lose losses, just like with your filmmaking. But what you're really saying is, well, I want to be a DP because I get a win there. Right. Parts of my personalities are rewarded that aren't rewarded in other aspects. For me, I'm not a laid back guy at all. Like, I can be laid back, but it's not. He looked I, over at me. Well, no, he's laid back. <laughs> I feel back. like yeah. I'm being totally fraudulent when I'm being laid back. It is painful to me. When I get home from weddings, I'm so wired. I'm holding my energy. There are nights I cannot sleep. I stay up all night when I get home. Because it makes me so, I, I never have realized this, but I'm so anxious. Right. But that's my strength. Because I can bust anybody's chops. And I don't care. Like, and I can, that's why I'm successful. Because I have courage to deal with certain situations, but it's not rewarded at a wedding. So if that was my totality, oh, if, I, interesting. Yeah, if yeah. I never got to be a leader, if I never got to direct a team or talk to clients or commit a hard sell or call someone up and say, I'm not doing that for you, mm -hmm. I would feel like a bad person. I would feel unrewarded because I'm not being this laid back, yeah, cool California guy. Yeah, right. Like I'm going to go back, I'll play the part. I want to be a good part of a community and I'm flexible, but at the same time, I give myself opportunities to win in different areas. So mm -hmm. I feel satisfied because there are times where I give away myself and that's good for me. Right. And there are times where I get to satisfy myself and that's also good for me. And I think that's really what you're saying with like the production work is like the part of you that's the neurotic, detail obsessed artist has to come out. Yes. But it's also good for you to 
give that away sometimes. Totally. And, and they think, serve each other, right? Yeah. Being forced to be uh, make concessions for a 15-hour workday all the time allows you to be a great team player on a production yep. where people say like, hey, you're going to be detail-oriented and stop. Yep. Don't be detail-oriented anymore. Now we're going to shoot. And you go like, okay, I have a lot of practice being told to stop a lot earlier than this. Mm-hmm. And so it's still yep. okay. you know. And they serve each other. Mm-hmm. But like you're right. If, if your entire identity is wrapped up in one thing, um, it can be really problematic. And it, ha- and it has been problematic for me up until very recently That's where great. I found a way to diversify my itch scratching. You didn't even yep. know what you needed. Yeah. That's until it. Until you got it. And Speaking so, of uh, not being satisfied, we weren't really able to talk much about gear I know. in this podcast. We'll have to have you back. Yes. Because I am interested to pick your brain on a million different techniques and whatnot, which I think would be actually really valuable. But this was awesome, man. Thank you yeah, so much likewise, for coming I had a great conversation. Yeah, I'd love to come back and, and do a gear conversation because yeah. it, it, it's all, there's a lot of the same overlap. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah. All right, guys, um, definitely if you've made it this far, you've probably already subscribed, <laughs> but we would really appreciate it if you subscribe, hit the like button, do all that stuff that everyone tells you to do. Also do that for us. Thank you, guys. Thank you.